I love the reminder that we sing in that hymn that one day, one day all things will be made new. And as we gather this in each Lord's Day, we gather between this day and that. And friends, today we are one step closer <laughs> to that day when Christ makes all things new. And so we gather to encourage each other to stay steadfast, to walk by faith and not by sight, and to encourage one another, especially as we come to times in our life of trial and of temptation and of despair and of, at times, desperation. And that's very much where we find David now as we come to 1 Samuel chapter 21. If you've not been with us, we're studying through 1 Samuel. This is the the time in history of Israel, of God's people, when God gives them a king. So we've covered the background on how all of that came about and how Saul was anointed the king of Israel, but Saul was not faithful. He didn't remain steadfast. He disobeyed God. He rebelled against him. And so God removed his favor, his blessing, his anointing from Saul, and he has now placed it on David. David, we see in our story, starts out as the shepherd out in the field and then we see that hand of God on him and blessing him. He defeats Goliath. He is a leader in Saul's army. He has great favor among the people. And as that favor grows and that blessing is evident, we see with it the anger and the hatred of Saul, who we're not sure at what point he fully understands these things, but it seems at this point he's very aware that David is the one who's going to replace him as king. And so his mission is to make sure that doesn't happen. So now that's evident to others. David is on the run. He has fled and he is very much in a desperate, desperate place. In fact, last Lord's Day as we looked at 1 Samuel 20, it began with, then David fled and it ended with, he rose and departed. <laughs> that's kind of the, the, the consistency we'll see in these chapters is David running, David fleeing, David running, David fleeing, his despair, his desperation. And so as we walk through this, I hope we can consider our own despair, uh, very different circumstances in our lives than David's, but still we know what it is to be desperate and to despair and to consider how it is we should respond at those times. So we're going to read chapter 21 in its entirety. Uh, it is much shorter than chapter 20 was last week, and so uh, you won't get as much of your standing hours today as we read, but uh, we do ask out of reverence for God's Word uh, that you stand, if you're able, as I read this passage for us, because this indeed is the holy Word of God that He has preserved and handed down to us, and this is what He says. Then David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest, and Ahimelech came to meet David, trembling, and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has charged me with a matter and said to me, Let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you, with which I have charged you. I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. And the priest answered, David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is the holy bread if young men have kept themselves from women. And David answered the priest, Truly, women have been kept from us, as always when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy, even when it is an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? 
So the priests gave him the holy bread. And there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day that it is taken away. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day detained before the Lord. His name was Doeg the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. Then David said to Ahimelech, Then have you not here a spear or a sword at hand? For I brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you struck down in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you take that, take it. For there is none but that here. And David said, There is none like that. Give it to me. And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is not this David, the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down thousands, but David his ten thousands? And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man is mad. Why have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? You would pray with me. Father, as we consider your word this morning, there are some rather bizarre things here, some out of the ordinary things here, and yet that which is neither bizarre or out of the ordinary is the fact that we see someone who is desperate, someone who is in despair, someone who is likely anxious and worried and on the run. And Father, that is something that we have and will experience. Anxiety, worry, despair, desperation. So help us, Lord, as we consider what's taking place here in this historical text, what took place in the life of David. And help us to better understand this so that we might understand how it is we should not and should respond in these times of desperation and despair. And ultimately, Lord, help us to see and savor the gospel of our Lord Jesus today. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. I'm sure most of us are familiar with the phrase, between a rock and a hard place. And the origin of that phrase goes back to the early 1900s. In 1917, there was a banking crisis that led to a dispute between mining companies and the actual mining workers in Arizona. And so the workers had come together and had formed a labor union of sorts, and they took their complaints to their employer about their harsh and brutal conditions, about their low wages, in hopes that those things might improve as they were laboring day in and day out at these rock faces in Arizona. Well, they're complaints were not met well they were refused everything they asked for in fact 
those who came to them quickly lost their jobs and were forcibly removed from Arizona. Word of that came down to the other workers, and then they were left with a decision. We can either stay here and work in these harsh conditions at this rock face day in and day out, or we can leave and lose our job and face even harder times. They were literally between a rock and a hard place. That expression may go back to the 1900s, but that experience has been around long before that. And it's very much the experience we find David in here in 1 Samuel 21. And he is indeed between a rock and a hard place. He, behind him, has so much that he has left behind and that he has fled. And he's had to leave his position in Saul's army, leave his, his job, his, his work, to run from Saul. He's had to leave his wife and leave his family. After this last chapter, we see that he's leaving behind his, his best friend, Jonathan. During this time, he's fled to his, his spiritual mentor, uh, God's priest, God's prophet Samuel. But he's even had to flee from him. He's had to run away from all those who might give him comfort and protection. That's what's behind him. And what's in front of him? Well, very much the unknown. More of his enemies... No safe place to hide, no safe place to run. He is in a time of despair and desperation, and now he has no army, no weapons, no food, no provisions. He is alone, likely feels abandoned, and as a result, he is desperate. And so there's a lot in this chapter as I was praying and processing through what what we would discuss today. There are So many things we can kind of camp out on here, and I won't cover every detail of everything in this passage today, but I I do want to look at what I feel is a a theme that we see throughout not just this chapter, but other chapters that then lead us towards how we see David ultimately responding to these times as we look at some of the Psalms. And then that's the theme of desperation and despair. I want us to consider how David responds in his desperation and despair in hopes that we might better understand how we need to respond and how we should not respond in our desperation and despair in hopes that our trust will grow in the gospel of our Lord Jesus as we consider this passage this morning. And so let's walk through this and let's look at David and learn from him. If we first see, point one there in your outline, uh, in desperation... David turns to deception. So in this desperation, we see first him turning towards deception and dishonesty. So David on the run here, he comes to Ahimelech, and it says that he comes to Ahimelech in Nob. Now, during this time, if you'll remember some of the history that we've covered in the book of Exodus, and as as we study through Scripture together, uh, you'll remember during Exodus, the establishment of the tabernacle and, and, and all the components of the tabernacle. And, and there in the tabernacle was the, the Ark of the Covenant, God's Ark. Well, now we're at a point in history where we've already seen that the Ark did not remain there in the tabernacle or with the other elements of the tabernacle because now we've already seen in 1 Samuel how God's people have taken the Ark into battle with them. And so it's been separated out. But the other components, the, the tabernacle itself was in Nob. And Nob was where the high priest was. And so this was kind of the the, the worship center at this point for God's people. 
And so this is where we now find David running to and fleeing to. And so as he comes there, uh, he encounters Ahimelech. Now, Ahimelech is the great-grandson of Eli. You may remember Eli from earlier in our study in 1 Samuel. The last picture we had of Eli was back in chapter 4, uh, where he was a rather large man, where the people were out in battle. And again, they had the ark with them. And it seems that Eli is the high priest. He's most concerned about what's going to happen to the ark. And so the picture there in 1 Samuel 4, as we encounter Eli, is the scripture says he was trembling for the ark. He's trembling. And then the news comes to him that the ark has been captured. It's in the hand of the Philistines, the enemies of God. And you remember Eli, then he, he falls over his neck, snaps, he, he dies. Well, now we come to 1 Samuel 21. Now we come to his great-grandson, Ahimelech. And what's his response to David? He's trembling. Now, why is he trembling? Well, maybe it's a, a family trait of sorts. You know, I wonder with him if, if there was just something to the high priest there and the ark not being there with the tabernacle when he sees one of the chief warriors of Saul coming towards him, if he fears the news he's going to give him about the ark or about God's people and he's trembling just like his great-grandfather was. Perhaps he already has some insights to this conflict between Saul and David. We're not sure exactly why, but, but this is his response. He, he is trembling and he he asked David, why are you alone and why is no one with you? And David's response is, he, he just lies to him. And there's really not an evident reason for the lie. You, you could even say, not, not that lies are ever necessary, but this is a completely unnecessary lie. He, he just lies almost for the sake of lying. I mean, maybe he's concerned that Ahimelech has loyalty to Saul and word will get back to Saul. Maybe he's concerned someone else will hear and word will get back to Saul. But, but the only thing we see in the scripture here that's real clear to us is, is he just makes up a story. He lies to him and says that he's on a, a secret mission for Saul. You know that secret mission where we're going to such and such a place? <laughs> I mean, on the surface, it just looks very clearly like a lie, like a story. There's really no detail that's given. He's not very elaborate. He says that there are men with him. There's no indication that there actually are men with him. He's likely lying about that as well. And so he just he lies to Ahimelech. And again, we, we can try to figure out why he lies, but what we clearly see in this isn't so much why he lies, but that this wasn't his first lie. <laughs> that this isn't the first time in recent chapters that we've seen David as a deceiver and David as partner in deception. It wasn't the first time. It certainly wouldn't be his last. We look back just a, a few chapters and we see how David's involved in a lie with his wife, uh, lying about him being in bed sick when he's not really not in bed sick. He, he's fled from Saul, so there's a lie there. We see in the last chapter how he and Jonathan are lying together, conspiring together to, to trick Saul in order to see Saul's true intentions. And Saul is certainly at fault there, but so is David and so is Jonathan. They're, they're deceiving, they're lying. And so this was something that it seems that David was kind of building up a practice to. And in fact, we won't see this as the last deception of David. Perhaps the most well-known deception of David comes sometime down the road when David is established at king and there he is 
reigning over the throne of Israel and his men are away at battle during a time when kings should have been away at battle as well, but he's not, and he looks over to a rooftop and he sees Bathsheba. And if you know the story, you know what happens there. He enters into an adulterous relationship with her. She becomes pregnant through this relationship. And so David's response is what? Deception. He'll call back Uriah. He'll he'll deceive Uriah into thinking this child is his. That plan falls through. Now he'll put Uriah on the front lines and Uriah will die and other men will die to cover up David's deceptions, his lies, his deceit. At the end of the day, many people die, even his own son, because of his deception. Now many of us, in just an overview of the scripture, we come to that point in David's life and perhaps we look at it and, and we think, how could David get to this point? How does a man after God's own heart, the the anointed king of Israel, how how did he get to that point with Bathsheba, with Uriah, with his kingdom? How did he get there? The answer is he had a lot of practice. He, He wasn't honest much earlier than that event. He had a lot of practice. You see, when we're desperate, and David knew desperation, we are tempted to deceive we're tempted not to be honest and lies beget more lies oftentimes we we start with something small and then we have to keep going to cover up that which we started with and so a little lie turns into a big lie a deception after a deception after a deception and it never ends well it certainly didn't for david here in first samuel 21 and what will take place in 22 It certainly doesn't for David later with Bathsheba. It doesn't for us either. And so we have to deal with the the root issue, this issue of desperation, because so often we will turn to deception in the midst of it. Not just there, we also see the temptation to turn to self-dependence, which brings us to that second point. In desperation, David turns to self-dependence. And so David is here before Ahimelech, and he's hungry. He needs provision. He doesn't have anything with him because he left in such haste so quickly, fleeing for his life. And so he's come to Ahimelech, and he's asked him for for any provision he could offer. And Ahimelech makes clear to him, well, I don't don't have common bread, just everyday bread. I've got the bread of presence. Now, again, you you can go back and do some more digging on this. We've covered this ground before, but that... Bread of presence was the the holy bread there in the tabernacle. And the bread of presence we learn in the scripture was replaced on a consistent basis. And when it was replaced with hot bread, then the other bread was taken and given to the priest for them to eat and for provision for them. And so we don't know exactly where they're at in this process in 1 Samuel 21. But essentially what Ahimelech's offering is, I have bread that's usually available for the priest and you can have some of that bread. Again, there's a lot here you could dig more into. But I should point out that what we see in the Gospels is that Jesus refers back to this, clearly helping us to see that there are some things that take priority over ceremony, that it wasn't out of line for Ahimelech to offer this bread to David. We could also make some connections here (laughs) that Jesus, when accused of what he's doing on the Sabbath, going back to this passage and telling those who were accusing him that he was the Lord of the Sabbath, that there's a connection there that now we have David, the anointed one of God, receiving this bread from the, the table of presence. 
But whatever the case, and however you connect the dots, Ahimelech wasn't completely out of line to offer this, this bread to David. Again, though, David's lying, <laughs> you know. Why five loaves? Why not just one loaf? Why not half a loaf? He's, he, he's perpetuating this, this deceit that he's got these other men he needs to feed. And not just food, he needs a weapon. And he tells Ahimelech, listen, I, I left with such haste because of Saul, which there's a partial truth there, isn't there? He did leave with haste because of Saul, but it wasn't because of a mission from Saul. It's because of the anger and the rage of Saul. And so he has no weapon and Ahimelech responds to him, well, well, the only weapon we have here, David, is one you're familiar with. <laughs> it's the sword of Goliath. And it wasn't long ago we were covering that ground where uh, David encounters Goliath. You remember he comes at him with sling and stones. He defeats the giant through the power of the Lord, and then he cuts off his head with Goliath's own sword. And now this sword would be there with those other elements of the tabernacle in this holy place. I want you to notice, though, David's response. There's none like that. Give it to me. And just think of the contrast we see here. Back in 1 Samuel 17, the shepherd boy David comes from the field, a young man after God's own heart. He, he sees this giant of Gath who, who is issuing threats against God's people and against God Himself. And He is the one who is willing and ready and courageous enough to stand on behalf of the people of God to take on the enemy of God. And remember what He says in that situation. 1 Samuel 17, verse 45. You, Goliath, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. David in 1 Samuel 17 isn't impressed with the sword of Goliath. He's impressed with the hand of the Lord. In fact, you go on in that passage, verse 46. This day, David says, the Lord will deliver you into my hand that all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword or spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hand. 1 Samuel 17, David says, I don't need a sword. God will bring victory. 1 Samuel 21, David says, give me the sword. It seems we have a very clear picture here of what happens to us so often in our lives when we're desperate. When we turn from trusting in the Lord to trusting in ourselves. When we seek the Lord's hand and we turn from that to trust in our own hand. In desperate situations, so often we are prone rather than to bow the knee and to trust in God and to seek Him, to get up on our feet and try to do something and fix it. We struggle to wait. And so we look for the quick fix. Maybe you've had a time in your life where, maybe you're in a time like this where you're worried about provision. You're worried about paychecks. You're worried about finances. You're worried about 
paying bills. And, and maybe, I don't know, maybe in this situation, the, the Lord is teaching you something about waiting and trusting, but that there's all kinds of ways not to wait and trust, aren't there? <laughs> go borrow more money, go into more debt, try to fix it through other means. Maybe you're in a desperate situation where, where the Lord, as He often calls us to in His Word, he, he wants you to stop and to wait and to trust Him. But, but you, like me, are tempted to, to do something, to fix something, to, to get up and try to make it happen. Rather than to stop and sit and pray, you want to run and do. I don't know about you, but I, I know for myself, I have the hardest time with just stopping and waiting and trusting. And I think that's part of what we see David doing here is in his desperation, rather than really trusting in the Lord, as he was back in 1 Samuel 17. Now, now he's trusting in his own hands, and now he sees the sword, and he's in awe of it. <laughs> There's nothing like it. Give it to me. Well, what a change of heart we see there. And I think that change comes because of his desperation and his self-dependence. Next, number three, we see in desperation, David then turns to poor decisions. He turns to poor decisions. So first we see he, he, he turns to deception, then self-dependence, and now poor decisions. So he has the provisions, he has the weapons, he has the food. Now what's he got to do? He's got to keep running. <laughs> the scripture says there, then he, he rose and fled that day from Saul, the that the indication is not that Saul is knocking on the door and Saul's about to capture him, but, but just the picture of his life right now is that he's running from Saul. Saul's always somewhere after him. And so he's still on the run. So where's he going to go now? Verse 10. David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. Now, that, that place should be familiar to you if you've been with us in this study, Gath. Gath was one of the cities, one of the major cities of the Philistines. Gath was the hometown of Goliath. He was their hero. Gath was enemy territory. Gath was where the enemies of God gathered. And for David to go to Gath, that doesn't just say something about where David's at at this point, but, but consider for a moment where the people of Gath are at this point, and how they would respond to David. I mean, here's David who, who killed their hero, who chopped off his head. Hey, here's David who, if you remember that mission he was sent on by Saul in order to win Saul's daughter's hand in marriage. You remember what he did to not 100, but 200 of the Philistines, many of them most likely in a city just like Gath. And now the sons and brothers and fathers and daughters of the hundreds if not thousands of Philistines that David's been responsible for slaughtering are going to look as David walks into their city carrying the sword of Goliath. I imagine what that might be like. I was talking to Ken Walker, the chairman of our deacons this week, and trying to come up with a picture of this, and he gave her a great one. He's like, this is like 
Osama bin Laden walking through Times Square after 9-11. I mean, you talk about the, the visceral hatred the Philistines would have had for David. Of all places to go, that's where he goes. Why? Because he's desperate. And in his desperation, he does like we often do. He makes a bad decision. And I think David realizes what a poor choice this was. In fact, if you look there at verse 12, you find that David, in response to Achish, as the people very quickly say, well, isn't this David who they sang about and, and Saul killed this many, but he killed this many more? I mean, isn't this the David who did all these horrible things to our people? David hears this, and the Scripture says he was much afraid. He was much afraid. It's worth noting that in all of the things that we see David encounter throughout the Word of God, this is the only time it's noted that he was afraid of another man. And we read about him in the Psalms fearing God, but we don't read about him outside of this fearing man. When he's standing there before the giant, he's not afraid. When he's marching into battle against the Philistines, terribly outnumbered, he's not afraid. When he's sitting at the table and Saul, with his terrible aim, misses him with the spear and he flees, there's no mention of him being afraid. But now, in enemy territory, now he's afraid. He finds himself in the midst of a desperate situation that he's walked right into. Made a poor decision. So, so how's he going to resolve this? Well, he pretends to be crazy. <laughs> he pretends to be a madman. It, and it seems to work. I mean, the Philistines note this. They want to bring him before their king, and so they do. And he comes in, and, and he's drooling, and he's done all these things elaborately to, to make it look like he's legitimately crazy. And the king believes it. The king looks at David and says, Listen, i got enough crazy people around here. Did you bring me another one? <laughs> you know? And it seems at the moment that, that David has escaped his desperate situation. But, but it's not without noting here that the poor decision that put him here. And considering what happens to us in our desperation, especially when our desperation leads us to sin, that this pattern we see in David's life, we can identify in our own life as well, can't we? One lie leads to another. And the further we go in that process, the further we go away from trusting the Lord. And then in our desperation, we make one bad decision after another after another. Until we find ourselves in a place that we never intended to go to. I've said it before, others have said it as well. Sin does this. It always takes us farther than we ever intended to go. And it cost us more than we ever thought we would pay. And that's the picture we have here of David. That's the picture we have in our own life. And so that brings us to that final point. Really a question of application in your notes there, number four. So as we consider all these things and we consider our own desperation and despair, we, we see where David turned. We see how he turned to deception and self-dependence. The poor decisions. The question though for us really today is where do we turn? Where do we go in our desperation? 
you know, the good news is that our Bibles, at least, I hope your Bible doesn't end with 1 Samuel 21. <laughs> the story goes on. And we're privileged to be on this side of history where we can read the whole picture. That this was not the final chapter in David's life. This was one of many chapters in his life. And we can look and see how David ultimately learned from his mistakes and learn from his sin and, and learn from what took place here. That doesn't mean that he didn't mess up again. In fact, he messes up a lot worse. We've already covered some of that territory and what takes place with Bathsheba. But it's important to note here that, that the story goes on and that he learned. And we're privileged to be able to look at what he learned. And so now, as I mentioned before, let's look at Psalm 34. You know, we're blessed because in the Psalms, so often there's a, there's a heading there, and those are important to read because they give you a context for where this psalm was written or what this psalm was written in response to. And as you turn to Psalm 34, you'll notice there it says, this is the psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech. And that might seem confusing because we had Ahimelech in this passage, and now it says Abimelech. Abimelech would have been the royal title for the king of Gath. And so when he changed his behavior before that king, so that he drove him out and he went away. So this psalm was written by David after he has acted like a madman, after he has fled, as he's able to sit, as we'll see him soon, sitting in a cave. At some point, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he's able to respond rightly to what he did wrongly. And he writes down these words. Psalm 34, beginning in verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Well, that's not what happened in chapter 21, was it? I mean, he's praising the sword of Goliath. He, his mouth is full of lies, but now there seems to be repentance. Because what? Now he's going to bless the Lord. He's going to praise Him continually. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt in His name together. I sought the Lord and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. There's this picture here that David, after he goes through all these wrong responses to his desperate situation, that, that now he goes through a right response and he is pouring out his fears before God, and God answers him. Verse 5, those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of his troubles. What a picture there of David going before the Lord in his desperation saying, Lord, I don't bring anything to the table here. <laughs> I'm not deserving of your mercy and grace. I just lied. I didn't trust you. I ended up in Gath of all places. I thought my life was going to end. I had to act crazy to get out of it. And God, your hand, despite my stubborn, wicked, foolish depravity, was still on me. Friends, that's our testimony as well. If God's hand, if His saving hand was not on us today, there would be no us today. We wouldn't be here. 
God, through His sovereign plan and His sovereign hand, has sustained us through our storms. He has walked us through the wilderness. He has brought us to this place where in response to our despair, rather than turn to our own devices and deception and self-dependence and so many other things, He's brought us to this place that we might cry out like David did in Psalm 34. When I'm afraid, Trust in Him. This poor man, the Lord heard him. He saved him out of his troubles. The angels of the Lord encamps me around those who fear Him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Oh, fear the Lord, you saints, for those who fear Him have no lack. And then you see verse 10. Oh, come, old children, listen to me. I will teach you to fear the Lord. There's almost a sense here where David's just saying, just, would you just listen to me? You know, we're so prone, even in this service, even in this moment, to nod our head and amen while we're still lying and still trusting in ourselves and we're sitting here nodding saying yes, then our hearts were saying no. We know how to sing songs about trusting God, but do we know how to live lives in which we trust God? And there's this moment in this psalm, where I think David addressed, oh, children, just, just listen. Listen. And learn what it means to fear in the Lord. There are a lot of questions that I don't have answers to about the trials that you have faced and the trials that I have faced about desperation and despair in your life and in mine, about why does this happen to this person and this doesn't happen to this person? Suffering is not proportional. It is overwhelming at times. But this I know. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And I, friend, what you will find if you will taste and see is that in the midst of your running and in the midst of your trial and mine, we can go all kinds of places, but ultimately, this is the only home we will find that will bring us any lasting comfort. And this is the place God calls us to. To come, to taste, and to see. To respond to the Word of God. And to understand that, that the Lord is good even if our circumstances aren't. That, that the Lord is good even if things around us are falling apart that the lord is good and the day will come when all things will be made new so the invitation for us today is to trust in that good god and to taste and see that he indeed is good if you would stand with me as i pray for us Father God, we come to you in response to your word, a passage where we see David make bad decisions and do the wrong thing in response to his desperation. And, and Lord, that's something that many of us can identify with because we too have made poor decisions and done the wrong thing. Sin upon sin, deception upon deception, covering up one lie with another. Perhaps we are doing that right now. 
perhaps even today as we come before this assembly, with this assembly, as we gather together, perhaps our amens and our head nods and our smiles, perhaps those are just deceptions because that's not where our heart is. Perhaps we aren't truly trusting in you. We're trusting in ourselves. So, Father, I pray that we would indeed respond to your word as you've called us to. That we would taste and see that you're good. That we would turn from our sin and trust in Jesus. And, Lord, that we might see in this big picture of the gospel, which you have initiated with us, that when we respond in repentance and faith, that then we're in your hand and no one can snatch us out of your hand because your grip will not be loosened on those who are yours. And so, Father, in our despair, in our desperation, you still hold firmly to us. So help us, Lord, to trust in you today. No matter what may come, we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Church family, we're going to respond by singing, He will hold me fast and being reminded of that that picture that for those who are in Christ, we are in his grip. He doesn't let us go. As we sing, that that is the primary way we invite you to respond to God's word right now is through worship. And as you worship, perhaps the Lord is leading you to, to repent of sin and to respond to the gospel today. Perhaps you've not done that before, and I'll be here to talk to you more about that if, if the Lord's leading you to come and publicly profess Christ as your Lord, to follow through in obedience and baptism, to start the process of church membership. Maybe you just need someone to pray for you in your despair and your desperation, or to pray for the despair and desperation of another. So I'll be available to pray with you as we invite you to come, as we invite you to sing in this time of response.